Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It may take me a while, but damn it, I deliver on my promises. Eventually, a week ago, I promised you all that we would talk to Steve Vidovich on the pod. And every day I said, tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow. I'm sure it'll be tomorrow. Surely they'll. Surely there won't be a curfew soon. Surely the timing will line up. Well, at long last, I stopped screwing up. And so today, this Friday edition, you actually get to listen to two people. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Steve Hello, man. I'm sorry. Hey, Dan. Uh, no, no reason to apologize. It's been a whirlwind of a week, and uh, I'm excited to to have my debut on Fantasy <laughs> NBA today. It seems weird to me, actually, that you haven't been on this show before, because you and I have talked many times. Uh, you are running the Hoopball live show platform these days. I feel like we've done things together. It just hasn't been this thing, so... I guess to that end, welcome, because for the listeners, this is relatively new, but for you and I, we've talked plenty. Yeah, definitely. Those live streams have been a lot of fun with uh, with no NBA going on. Um, specifically, these expansion drafts that we've been doing have been a lot of fun. Yeah, tell me a little uh, bit more about those. I've, I've promoted them a little bit on the show. I think it's probably better if you're talking about them because you're uh, more hands-on with them. These are on Wednesdays during the shutdown. You guys are just... You guys are going through live on air uh, how an expansion draft would happen if the NBA was adding teams, yeah? Yeah, so the first episode, we kind of outlined uh, what the rules of an expansion draft were, um, which you guys can check that out on our HoopBall forums. Um, And then from there, we've basically gone into protections on each of the teams, which has been a lot of fun. We talk a little bit about fantasy, a little bit about reality, um, and it looks like with this schedule the NBA is putting in place, we'll have our actual expansion draft uh, probably July 15th or July 22nd, <laughs> right before the NBA starts back up. Uh, and that'll be really exciting. Uh, after we do the protections, uh, there's a player pool, and then we'll actually do an expansion draft with two new teams uh, selecting the players that weren't protected by the team. So, uh, is is your expansion team? Are they going to make the top twenty two? Are they in? <laughs> I saw something on Twitter this no. uh, this afternoon. On that note, uh, Sam Smith made a joke saying that the NBA is going to uh, have an expansion next season, twenty 2020, twenty 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 one, from twenty two teams to thirty teams. So, might as well make it thirty two. Yeah, hell. Well, you got to have an even number, right? Everybody's got to be playing. That's that that makes sense. Okay, fair enough. Well, I, I you know, I've I've been trying my best to make sure people know these things are happening there every Wednesday. It's a really cool way to spend a little bit of time, especially since even though we got some great news on the NBA's return, like you said, there's still 8 weeks and a day. Well, I guess this show is airing on uh, on Friday. So exa- exactly 8 weeks until the NBA comes back now. Uh this is a really cool project. How did you guys I mean, I want to know more about it. I don't want to spend too much time on today's show talking about it because we have other really pressing things to discuss. But how did you guys come up with this plan? Uh, so one of our uh, live stream pros, uh, Doug, uh, is really involved in the community in Kentucky of trying to get a NBA team over there. So he brought this idea to me and a few other guys on the stream, uh, Santino and Will. Um, who have been uh, on quite a few of these expansion drafts. And we basically discussed the idea. Everyone really liked it. Um, And so then we ran with it with two new teams, one of them being uh, the Seattle uh, Supersonics or whatever um, 
mascot they want to go with. And then another team in uh, Kentucky or Louisville uh, haven't quite chosen a a mascot for them, but uh, that's how it uh, came about. Um, And uh, we just ran with it. So it's a lot of fun. These expansion or these expansion drafts and the live streams in general, all the different things we've been doing. Um, So yeah, every Wednesday, 7 PM Pacific time, uh, check us out on YouTube. Uh, and if you guys miss the show, you can always watch a replay. Uh, it'll be on YouTube for per- perpetuity. Yeah, it's not the only show you guys are working on either. You guys have uh, sometimes Tuesdays, sometimes Thursdays, sometimes both live shows that are geared more towards kind of a regular look at the NBA, news, fantasy stuff. I think uh, Thursday night you guys had a top fantasy players of the entire decade show, right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Last night was uh, last night we were discussing uh, the top 20 fantasy players of the decade, which I think would be a lot of fun. And uh, it's always fun when people disagree on players. So uh, if any of you guys want to tune in and give your takes on what we got right, what we got wrong, we're always looking for uh, for people to comment, come in and just join us. So that was uh, that was Michael, that was Marcus, and that was Brent. I think on the Thursday show, Steve. I know you're on some of those things. You're keeping them all in line over there. William, Surio, Santino, uh, Lawrence. I'm just I'm really excited. And again, we're we're jumping into the 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 news of the day here in about 20 seconds. Here, I'm just really excited. That you guys have found so many cool things to do with the Hoopball Live platform that was previously part of our Game Time Premium membership. For the most part, those were behind the paywall types of shows that were geared much more heavily towards the fantasy season, you know, when there was one. Um, But you guys have turned it into something really fun and free. So please, everybody do go check that out. By the way, you can follow Steve on Twitter at Steven Vidovich with a P-H-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-V-I-D-O-V-I-C-H. That is the Twitter handle. Uh, Steven Vidovich again on Twitter. So um, Thursday, I well, on yesterday's podcast, I talked a little bit more about the NBA coming back on July 31st, other ways that it sort of ties into the fantasy season. On Thursday, we got more reality NBA news on how all of these things are going, how the vote went, which, by the way, was 29 in favor. One was against the return, as proposed in the in the current uh, format. And then we also, Steve, got a schedule, or a tentative schedule at the very least, which was, and I'll just read it from the various Woj and Sham tweets that came out, uh, NBA training camps are going to be uh, June 30th. July 7th, the teams will travel to Orlando. The season will resume on July the 31st. The playoffs will run until October 12th. Free agency is, uh, excuse me, the draft lottery is going to be occurring during the playoffs on August the 25th. Free agency And the draft, right after the playoffs end, draft on the 15th, free agency starts on the 18th of October, and training camp four weeks after free agency, uh, with the regular season perhaps starting about three weeks after that. So if that all held, and this is just the first look at it, you're talking about training camps on November 10th and basketball back by the beginning of December I, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. I have a few, but just what were your feelings on just getting a schedule? I, I was, it felt, it, to me, it almost felt like we were getting presents this morning with all this information coming out. Absolutely. The NBA is back uh, and it is very exciting uh, for all us NBA junkies out there. Um, one note, one note when you're talking about the schedule that comes to mind is how short the off season is going to be uh, until the 2020, 21 uh, season. So what my thoughts are, are uh, certain teams that are not going to participate. The eight teams that are not going to participate might have an, an advantage to start next season. Certainly over the two teams that make the finals, right? Cause that's the other part of this. That's a little bit, um, I don't know if you want to call it unfair. I'm sure teams would rather make the finals than not make the finals at this point. But teams that are playing in the finals are playing until uh, October 12th, potentially, if it were to go all seven games. But, of course, that's only two out of 30. 28 of those teams will be done before October starts. 26 of those teams will probably be done by about September 16th or 18th. And so those those 
26 teams are going to have you know, roughly two and a half months before the season starts. That, to me, is more than enough time for them to get a little bit of rest. The two teams in the finals, those are the ones you're talking about with a quick turnaround, and I'm with you. I mean, I don't know that you, you'd call it a disadvantage necessarily because they also won't be, they won't be as rusty as the other teams coming back, but you've got to figure that they're going to be easing their way into the regular season a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. And also another note is that the teams that are going to come back, uh, the final six teams um, that won't make the playoffs and will only play in eight to ten games maximum uh, between them, it's kind of it could be a disadvantage to come back, go full gear for ten games, and then have another layoff of two months. Uh, there could be, I mean, as sad as it is to say, there could be some more injuries that we see uh, with a with the ramp up that they're going to do uh, remains to be seen. But uh, I really do think that it'll be a big advantage for teams that had a long layoff. For yeah. instance. If you take one team that looks like they're going to be full bore next year, the Golden State Warriors, That's they your, now your hometown have, club up there. <laughs> yeah, my hometown club. They're going to have six or seven months off uh, between March and, uh, I guess, November uh, training camp. So I would say that the Warriors have a big advantage over um, many other teams yeah. that will be playing into September. Yeah, I guess if we were at all worried about Clay Thompson being healthy, it's not bad that the season's probably going to start near when normally the halfway point would be in seasons past, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited to see the Splash Brothers back together next season. And you've got the uh, the Splash triplet. Andrew Wiggins is on the team now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's shooting three-pointers now, right? They, they, put ta- they put tape on the ground, so that's all taken care of. Um Okay, so that's that's the initial feeling. I guess the you know Woj put out a tweet talking about how the uh, the players' association was saying that they, they were a little bit surprised to see that fast turnaround. So it's possible training camp and opening day get pushed back a little bit from November 10th and December 1st, respectively. We all I, I don't know. Were you in the same boat where you you figured the season would start on Christmas? I thought that might just be opening night. Yeah, I thought it could start as late as January uh, with them resuming the season. So I would not be surprised if they push back those dates to December 25th or even uh, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. I'd be pretty, I would be surprised if they pushed it past Christmas because isn't that their, their, that's their biggest regular season viewership day of the year, I think. So there's money yeah, on that, the line. That's true. I, I, I definitely would agree with you that there, it's very likely that they'll play on Christmas Day. But if, it, if Christmas Day happened on January 5th as opposed to December 25th, I'm sure that they would push it till January 5th. Did you get uh, it? Sorry, go ahead. I, I would just say that you're right on Christmas being a big day. But I think the reason why they would gear uh, playing on Christmas Day would be money driven and not um, league driven. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, my thought is they're losing so much money here this season. They're going to be trying to squeeze whatever they can especially if we still don't have fans at the start of next year that's a that's a very real possibility or maybe some sort of weird like you know 20 percent capacity rule on arenas so they're going to be desperately seeking tv revenue wherever possible see were you as excited as i was um when i saw that when they when they announced the um the date of free agency oh absolutely (laughs) absolutely (laughs) <laughs> that to me is that that might be my favorite couple days of the year and and it's not even during the fantasy season but october 18th free agency i know this isn't the world's greatest free agent class next year is the one everybody's looking at but that's such a that's such a pivotal week for fantasy enthusiasts because it's when we retool all of our expectations and frankly it's why all of us at hoopball were so excited about this year with all the player movement this was like this was the year we felt like we could really run the table because it required greater in-depth analysis. And, and I know as a squad, that's where we feel like we excel at hoop ball. So maybe next season isn't going to be quite as exciting from that aspect. But just to see all these dates lined out, it just it kind of got my it got my blood pumping in a way that it hasn't in in like three months. <laughs> uh, absolutely, uh, I would say that uh, one advantage definitely over at hoop ball is. The ability to uh, 
are all of the professionals we got here who um, are in the fringes learning about all of the different moves that people pick up uh, in free agency. You, it really gives you a competitive advantage in fantasy sports when you're aware of where the team is going, uh, what they're looking at for the next season. Um, so even though free agency might not be as impactful as it was last year, I definitely think that if you're not paying attention to free agency this year, you're going to fall behind in, in fantasy come next season. The other reality NBA thing I wanted to talk about with you before we segue into your lessons learned on the fantasy side this year is the one nay vote in the, the board of governors meeting. And it came from the Portland trailblazers of all teams. Um, Damian Lillard was one of the most vocal stars in terms of, look, I don't want to come back if I don't have a shot. So they came up with a way for him to have a shot, even without all 30 teams. And the Blazers voted no on the proposal. And the reasons that I found so far is that they wanted the play-in tournament. I guess that they felt like they would have had a maybe a better chance to get in that way, which was the 20-team the plan instead of the 22-team plan. And I guess there was also a report that they wanted uh, other concessions, I guess, teams that came back and either played well or worse. Maybe they could win games to try to improve their draft lottery and things like that. Like, doesn't that feel like a little bit of a, of a weird hill to die on at this point? Like, 29 teams said fine. Some of them aren't even being invited back, and the Blazers are making the uh, the protest vote that just just to sort of just to to say that they did. I don't I don't know that I agree with that assessment. Yeah, it is really interesting. Uh, it seems I saw something from CJ McCollum on Twitter uh, that said that the management, whoever their board of governor is, on that call that they were listening to what the players were saying, and that's mm. why they voted no. Uh, so I do think that it's a good look on management as far as the players on the Portland Trailblazers roster. But I do agree with you that it is interesting for them to to be the one team where they knew they were going to be outvoted 100%, uh, but they still voted no on the proposal. I don't know. I mean, put me in my place if you feel like I need to be at this point. I don't I don't want to be the combative uh morning or the drive time radio show ho- show host here, but it's a lot of complaining from a team that wasn't in the playoffs. It's they're acting like they were on their way to getting the 8 seed, but they hadn't been the 8 seed all season long. Why do we need to make things perfect? For the Portland Trailblazers, they have to fight to get in. It shouldn't be easy. Memphis has been the better team from day one this year. I I get it, Portland. You lost Yusuf Nurkic last year, so he's been gone all year. You lost Zach Collins on like the second day of the season. So you had to go out and sign Carmelo Anthony. This isn't the way you wanted your year to go. You felt like you were getting healthy. It's all, it's a little bit of fluff, you know? Teams that are not in the top eight in the Western Conference shouldn't really be able to dictate how the format looks when they come back. They should be just begging for a chance to get in at this point. Hey, give us a shot. And they got one. I mean, to me, there should be a certain measure of appreciation to Adam Silver and and the other league owners who I'm, you know, everybody, I guess, and and the Players Association, frankly, because this is, everybody was working together on this to say, look, how can we make this somewhat fair? I'm surprised the no vote didn't come from Memphis. If anybody should be pissed, it should be the Grizzlies. They're the one team that's like, oh, so you're just going to make it really hard for us to keep this eight seed without having a play-in game. You know, I, I, I can't disagree with anything that you just said. The one thing I would say is it seems to me from the Trailblazers' perspective to be a political move to uh, appease their players. Mm. And I well, don't what think are they pitching about? Bad- what are the players? What are the players so upset about? Uh, perhaps, I, perhaps they enjoyed the idea of the play-in tournament more than the way it's structured. I personally would have enjoyed something a little different than what they proposed. Um, I really in- thought the idea of a World Cup tournament would have been the most entertaining uh, way of 
of doing the uh, reseeding of the play or however they uh, propose that to do four different tiers of five teams. I really like that idea. So I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. I just feel like it, it was a political move and not necessarily a bad one uh, for their players moving forward. Yeah, all right, that's fair, I guess. I mean, to me, it's just sort of needless moaning over, yeah, hey, we want our we want to play in tournament. Of course you do. That's an easier path for you to get into the playoffs. But that's not how it works when you're the team tied for the nine seed with two other teams and you're basically four games out of a playoff spot. You have to be the one fighting uphill. We're not going to make it easier for you. Stop complaining. The NBA is coming back. You're going to have your chance. Uh, win some games. Win some of those eight games, and maybe you pass Memphis, or maybe you just get into that, you know, win two in a row situation. So, anyway, not that it matters at this point. You know, it passed, so who cares? I don't know why I'm getting all up in arms about it. NBA is coming back July 31st. That's what's important. Let's talk fantasy sports. Again, talking to Steven Vidovich here on this Friday show. Uh, hoop ball extraordinaire. I mean, what do we even call you now at this point? You're the grand pooba of all things live show, but you do so much more than that. Do you have a title or should we make one up? <laughs> I, I don't necessarily know if I have a title. You know, I, I think that a funny title would just be to call me a project manager uh, because it seems like everybody is a project manager in this world. That's right. Uh, <laughs> You're a consultant and a project manager. <laughs> Although consultant now has the the that just means they're coming in and firing people, right? So we don't want you to do that. You're you're a project manager. All right, Stephenovich, project manager at Hoopball. Um, let's talk fantasy sports. Yeah, uh, over the last couple of months, I've had a lot of time to kill on this podcast, and I've been going through some of the lessons that I've learned that I think I can take with me forward, largely into draft day, but not entirely. I I, I feel like. I like the moves I make during the regular season. I feel pretty good about my ability to assess value on a night-to-night basis. I watch a ton of basketball. Draft day is such a one-time explosion that you work so hard for, and that's where little tiny tweaks can go such a long way, and I think I've ended up focusing on that. I don't know, maybe more than I should have. Depending on timing here, we'll see how many of your, your stories, your lessons we get to, but... What's the first one you'd like to talk about? What's a lesson you learned from this season or from a bunch of seasons that you think maybe need people need to be paying closer attention to? So uh, one thing that I learned this year, and it's not a hard, fast rule, but I would say that uh, it ties into free agency, just learning about what teams are doing, where they're headed, who they're signing. Are they going to look to win a title? Are they rebuilding? You know, where is the status of the team? prior to the start of the season. But more than that, also, uh, there are certain teams that have a concentration of talent at the top, and then that concentration of talent allows for little fantasy value elsewhere Hmm. on the roster. So, for instance, the Los Angeles Lakers this year had a high concentration of value at the top, but it led uh, to little value elsewhere. Whereas if you look at For instance, the Toronto Raptors, uh, who lost Kawhi Leonard in free agency, uh, who was a high-usage guy, uh, and not only a high-usage guy, but just dominated the team, Um, his departure allowed for uh, a less um, less concentrated value at the top. You could also look at the Rockets and Westbrook and Harden and how the concentration of value... If you have a high concentration of value at the top, there's probably not too much else to go around. Um, I that, th- There is exceptions, but sorry. No, no, I was going to say, yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. And isolating those situations can be... Sometimes it, it jumps out at you, but sometimes you kind of get pulled into it. I think I'm probably victim of getting pulled into it a little bit with the Rockets, just feeling like, look, this is a team where uh, they they like to shoot the ball quickly. They like to have a lot of possessions in the game. I felt like maybe there was enough other stuff outside of Harden and Westbrook to where someone like a P.J. Tucker could kind of plod his way along for the entire season. And in certain formats, yeah, that made sense. You know, if you, if you were in a weekly format, he was actually relatively useful because he was so very durable, 
Um, so, you know, his totals value was far exceeded his per game number. But overall, yeah, you're totally right. I, I think going forward, I know me personally, I, I need to be, I'm always very careful with the Lakers. I feel like I picked up on that one pretty fast and, and didn't really do much with that team. I think JaVale McGee was the only guy I thought maybe, and then they signed Dwight Howard and that blew up uh, immediately. But how do we, Steve, how do we avoid getting getting cute with it and trying to talk ourselves into somebody else on the teams like that having value? Because I, I think, you know, I fell prey to it with the Rockets this year. I don't know if, did you fall into those traps this season? You know, I uh, I did at some point, uh, I was on the Daniel House Island for a little bit uh, and a lot of people were leaving and I was still thinking that he could have value. But looking at it now, I think, Part of the problem with a guy like Daniel House or Ben McElmore or Austin Rivers, all these guys on the Rockets, is they are somewhat interchangeable uh, within the team dynamic, whereas Harden and Westbrook are not. A guy like P.J. Tucker had a better chance of having value only because uh, his value isn't determined by his scoring ability. Right. Um, so a guy like Clint Capella can create value on Houston – before he got traded, he could have value because he didn't need him the ball in his hands to create to have value. That's not where his value comes from. But any guy on a team with two dominant players um, who is a who prides or whose value is correlated to their scoring ability is going to struggle when you know they have high usage dominant players on the team. So you have to be very careful, very mindful of the flashy scorers on certain teams with concentrated value at the top. I'm trying to think uh, of it, an example of this as we kind of do like a look ahead idea. And the one that jumps out to me is a healthy Brooklyn Nets team next year. Doesn't the Kyrie KD combination pretty much obliterate everyone else on that club? Absolutely. I think that would be a terrific example. I think there's a possibility of a big man, right. um, creating some value but only because that big man doesn't need the ball in their hands to have value yeah. but with the Brooklyn Nets it's a strange example because they have two um <laughs> yeah. that are in a timeshare so it's pretty hard to predict that one I would say that they are a great example uh, another example where it's going to be very difficult to find value uh not to go back to my hometown Warriors but it's going to be very hard to predict value on that team because they have so many players when healthy uh, who need the ball in their hands in order to have value. Although, so, you know, in the defense of your Warriors, um, they sort of made a career, made a living here over the last half decade on being a team of stars that shared the basketball, where it didn't all fall into just two guys. It was, you know, if Steph and Clay were doing the scoring, Draymond was getting the rebounds, the assists, the steals, the blocks. Then KD came to town, and it was just like, oh, well, everybody's going to take a little bit less, but they were all still fantasy relevant. Um, they strike me as maybe the exception to the rule just because of how they play. It's a possibility. The guy that scares me is is the the third splash bro, uh, or the splash <laughs> uh, triplet, <laughs> is Andrew Wiggins. Well, he should scare us for a lot of reasons. <laughs> Very true, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, that one, his usage from Minnesota to Golden State from, you know, last, last, this most recent season to next year. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm totally with you on that one. One guy, and, and this is sort of off topic a little bit, but while we're talking about Golden State, if they really roll with Marquise Chris as a starting big man on that team, is there enough for him to have value next year? Because he was on his way to a brilliant second half this year. I definitely think that Marquise Chris is a guy to watch uh, next year. I don't believe he's going to have the value that he did in the second half of this season um, with everybody returning, but he's the type of player. A big man is a lot easier um, to predict value even with stars because they're getting rebounds, blocks, high percentage from the field. He might not be guard. There might not be a defender near him within five feet of that dude the entire season <laughs> like start to fit is there any other team that I'm, I'm i'm scanning the teams to see what makes sense i feel like a healthy clippers team 
falls into that pocket a little bit, and they just weren't that healthy this year, so we didn't really get to see it. And then maybe John Wall coming back? Does that create any issue in Washington? What about the Clippers or the Wizards? Do either of those teams fall into this into that heading for you, or are they do they not quite hit that mold? Yeah, you know, the Clippers are a great example from this past season and an example for next season because Lou Williams saw his value drop uh, significantly this year. Yeah. Uh, Montrez Harrell uh, saw his value dip a little bit. Um, the Wizards is an interesting example with John Wall because I don't know what he'll look like upon his return from the Achilles but you have to assume if they're paying him close to $50 million a year, yeah. uh, they're going to run him out there. <laughs> uh, another example I was thinking is, is the Minnesota Timberwolves hmm. uh, with D'Angelo and Carl Anthony Towns. Is there going to be enough uh, meat on the bone for a guy like Malik Beasley? Uh, yeah, Malik Beasley. I'd give it a shot. I think I'd give it a shot. I just, um, I don't know. It just feels like there's a pocket there where it could happen where you know a team like the Lakers LeBron and AD their usages are just so crazy high and then Russ and Harden they are the premier example of that it feels like it feels like the Wolves are going to need a third person to actually do something on that team I don't know what that something is but I think I'm more willing to take a shot on them than I am on some of these other places uh yeah to the John Wall point yeah, if you're making 50 mil and you've sat out a season and a half, I I, I agree. I think they're probably going to have to throw him out there. And Lou Williams is a great example of someone who was negatively impacted by this phenomenon who had value in previous seasons when that type of thing wasn't going on. So it's actually occurring kind of all over the NBA. There are more of these potential scenarios than perhaps people realize when they're when like the quick thought you might you might think to yourself oh that's like one maybe two teams in the NBA but it's really more like five or six where you want to be extra careful you want to pick your spots a little bit and if you do you can probably avoid some pitfalls absolutely another team that just came to my mind is the Atlanta Hawks with Trey Young and John Collins next year Hmm. is there going to be enough meat on the bone for a third guy to produce let's say top 100 value uh, it's hard for me to, to see that. I would say Cam Reddish has the Capella. most likely shot. I'd but, say Clint uh, Capella might have your best shot oh, there. Clint, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Clint Capella. But no, I'm, I'm uh, totally with you with the wings on that team. It was already a squeeze this year. Um, and it seemed like one of those wing players was out pretty much every single day, but you go Reddish, Herter and Hunter. If they're all healthy together, there just isn't enough time or opportunity for almost any of them, I think if I was going to take a shot on any of those guys, it would be Reddish because his game has a little bit more room for growth and he was kind of turning the corner a little bit. But you might be looking at all three guys in the 120 range next year. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. Uh, I think it, this example is exactly like you said. I think it applies to not quite 10 teams, but probably six to eight. And if you can lock those teams down, then you can. You know, you could take a shot with one of your last picks on a third or fourth player on that team, but you got to be a little bit more weary. How do we avoid talking ourselves into some of these other guys? How do I avoid talking myself into, oh, I don't know. Um, I was going to say a Brooklyn net, but that feels pretty easy to keep from talking myself into one of those guys. How do I keep from talking myself into one of those Atlanta Hawks? How do I keep myself... How do I keep from talking myself into uh, like a Lakers big man or something? What's the process by which we can actually eliminate some of these teams? Oh, that's a very difficult question. Let me. Yeah, I hot seat. I hot seated you there. (laughs) No softballs on fantasy NBA today. (laughs) You know, I I would say that when you're getting towards the end of your drafts uh, on my two weekly leagues that I did this year, I didn't end up keeping any of my bottom five picks. Hmm. At some point over the course of the season, I dropped one of them, picked up somebody else in free agency. Um, So I would say that when it comes down to your bottom five picks in a draft, um, I wouldn't target, uh, with the exception of certain big men who... um, can survive based on their percentages, their ability to rebound and get defensive stats. Those are the types of guys to target. 
I would really caution people to stay away from scoring wings later in drafts that are on those teams. That's so great a advice. guy like Malik Beasley, a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Levert, those are the types of guys where you you can take them with your last pick, your second to last pick, but I think it's going to be more difficult for those types of players. How do you do it? I would say maybe before this before your draft, you look at other teams that aren't dominated by two, let's say two players. Um, so you look at those teams and the players on those teams that are wing, scoring wings, um, they have a much more percentage wise. If you're going to roll the dice, I feel like you're going to uh, mm. get the number a little bit more often on the, the team's, with less concentrated usage at the top. I think I, uh, I think I get what you're saying. It sounds like what you're what you're talking about here is when you have these opportunities late in a draft to kind of launch a flyer out there, don't spend it on someone who has capped upside because of their teammates. That that is the best way. I couldn't have said it better. Well, you did. That's what you said. I was just trying to interpret it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you said. Um, I think we've got time for one other lesson, if I'm, if I'm checking my clock right here. So what's one other lesson we can dive into on this Friday show? And then I'll let you go. So uh, the second lesson uh, is something that um, can be applied to anything in life. Uh, Ooh, this, I, would, I like this. Where are we going with this one? Well, it, it's a lesson that I, I'm sure, I, I believe you've spoken on before on this pod and and lots of people talk about, but I, I think every year it needs to get a reminder. And that is to um, let your negative feelings towards a player you might have ah. had the prior season go. Yes, uh, if you yes. drafted a player and they disappointed you, do not hold on to that the following draft season. I didn't realize we were going to get uh, like a, a visit from the Dalai Lama on today's podcast. This is good. This is, uh, this is nice. This is like how to let the small things go in life and how to improve your mental well-being. This is, this is good stuff. But no, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I talked about it even a week ago in reference to Hassan Whiteside, who I think I gave an unnecessary downgrade to this year, even though my numbers showed him being a, basically like a 75% hit rate type of guy in the draft. And I avoided him because his free throw percent was so terrible the previous year, even though even with a bad free throw percent this season, he was set to most likely beat his ADP. It's hard though, man. You have to be so diligent. I think I'm pretty good at it. And still I had one come back to bite me in the rear. Yeah. You know, this season I had one bite me too. Uh, and it was one of your guys, uh, and I would listen to your pod, and I would I still stayed away from him because I had uh, some trauma the prior year from having him on my roster. That's Chris Paul. Oh, I knew you were going to say Chris a, Paul. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I should have had you guess that one. Yeah, he he. I had him on my team the prior year, and he had his worst fantasy season, I believe, since maybe his rookie season. Um, so yeah. I shouldn't, I, at draft season, I should have let that negative feeling go. Uh, I should have let the pass go and look at it with a clear head, um, for this season. But it's hard though, because mentally when you have that guy on your team, whether it's Chris Paul or Hassan Whiteside or anyone else who was sort of a bounce back candidate this year, if you have that player and you're watching them put up these subpar lines for you for an entire season the thought starts to creep into your head what if this is who he is even if all the math that we're looking at all the numbers all the metrics all the opportunity when you roll that stuff together you're like oh well like in a worst case scenario Chris Paul is like four slots below where I'm drafting him or for Hassan Whiteside whose ADP was 75 you know, a worst case scenario was that he was top 90 and a best case scenario. Apparently now we know was top 10, although, you know, we thought Zach Collins was going to be healthy. So, you know, best case scenario is more like top 40 when the season started. These were both guys that the numbers said 
this is this has a very high chance of success. There are ways that this goes south, but when you watch that guy for an entire season the previous year, it's really hard to forget those negative feelings and you start to think this is what it's going to be. And for me, at least with Whiteside, I don't know if this is the same way it worked with you with Chris Paul. When I looked at Hassan this year, in my mind, you know, on my paper, it said Hassan's going to finish between 90 and 40. He's getting drafted at 75. You should probably take him. But in my mind, it said, you saw him last year. He's not finishing between 90 and 40. He's definitely finishing at 90. Even though everyone has a range by which they can finish, the mind made up that there was no range for these guys. Does that sound at all like how yours worked? Or is yours just kind of like, ugh, Chris Paul? <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely. Your mind is your own worst enemy sometimes. And when you when you get burned, uh, it's harder to go back to that place. But you have to let those feelings go um, and look at it from a brand new perspective. Look at the data, look at the sample size, um, and don't let don't let the negativity in your brain uh, get to you, basically. And you know those those scenarios are going to come up again next year. There's going to be somebody on this list that underperformed their ADP, and we're going to convince ourselves that this is who they are, and we're going to miss out on an opportunity. The guy that, you know, a guy that still finished in a, in a relatively enviable fantasy position but certainly did underperform his mark is Paul George who played hurt pretty much the entire season only managed 42 games was never really entirely himself this is a guy that I'm guessing people are going to look at and think oh this is who he is and yet he fits the mold in almost every respect of a guy that should be better next year but damn I didn't have almost any Paul George uh, Paul George's <laughs> I never the right way to phrase that I didn't have any Paul George's on my fantasy teams this year because he was hurt coming into the season and everybody knows I never draft a hurt player at the start of the year uh, but I'm betting teams that had him are gonna have a really tough time letting go of what happened this year wouldn't you think yeah I, this lesson it applies to Paul George and I really think this is a lesson that applies every single season because there will always be players drafted high who underperform their value and they sting teams on an, on an emotional level, which is strange to say in fantasy sports, but it really does affect, um, you know, your feelings. It does. So you have money on these things. You got (laughs) to let those go. That's money, man. Money affects your feelings. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to look, I'm, I'm trying to do a quick scan on the chart to see if I can find another example quickly uh, this is probably requires a little bit more diligence on my part it feels to me like george might be the guy at the top of that chart but i can i can fairly well assess that there will be others and you know darren fox was a guy who underperformed over the course of this year uh mike conley was a guy who went way under his adp you know look for guys that were drafted in the top 50 or 60 that finished outside the top 100 and you can get your list pretty quickly right there uh you just, I mean, we just have to do our homework and we have to believe the numbers on the paper in front of us and try to forget the name associated with them. You, you almost have to just block out the person's name. Take the jersey off on draft night. No? I mean, there maybe there's another way. That's pretty hard to pull off. I, honestly, the truth of it is you're going to see their name. You can't forget their name. You can't forget what they did to you. You just have to find a way to let it go. And for every person, that's probably a different process. Absolutely. You know, some people, you know, you might even want to meditate in order to try and let that (laughs) go. I mean, you could use real life tools because it's not just correlated to fantasy. If you get burned in anything in life, you want to try and 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 find a way to just let it go and move forward. And it, it applies to this example in fantasy. You know, what's kind of fun. I'll tell you what's that. Uh. We can put out a little poll. We'll have a little fun on the Twitter. Maybe not now. Maybe closer to NBA draft time. Uh, or maybe we do it soon and we do it later. I bet if you put out a poll of players and just said, hey, it doesn't have to be a poll, I guess. It could just be a Twitter question. Uh, and we'll do that. I'm, I'll, I'll put one out there. It'll, I'll make sure that, that we're both tagged on it. That just says, you guys let us know. Who's a player that stung you? 
this year, this season in fantasy? Who's a player that stung you this year that you will never touch again? And I bet you, if you get, I don't know, what are we going to get, you think? Maybe like 10 names that come in pretty regularly, maybe five that we see a ton of, and maybe 10 that are actually, you know, kind of repeat offenders on that question. I bet you nine out of those 10 guys end up beating their ADP next year. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that would be a great idea. Um, and it almost allows us to see where there is value. Yeah. You get the public opinion because, I mean, this is a, an old gambling tenet, but if you're basically fading public opinion, you have a slightly better chance to win. It's still not enough to, I mean, you can't just fade the public every day. In sports betting, you can't do that every single time in fantasy either. But if you find these ones that are the strongest, the most visceral reaction to a name, it's just like, ugh, I drafted that guy, and he killed me this year. That dude is almost definitely going to see a massive ADP, or a massive, uh, yeah, ADP hit next year. He'll fall off the board, and then you're probably going to see some value in his name. Miles Turner, I bet, is a guy that people are pissed at this season. Um... They said Paul George. We mentioned a couple of those point guards. If I Victor guess, Oladipo. Victor Oladipo, who came back way later than people expected. But again, this is why I don't stash injured guys that aren't coming back for two months because two becomes three, three becomes four. Um, I mean, I, I bet we take this list and analyze it. And if we can remember it, I bet we find some built-in value. It's really, it's really neat to sort of see the poll of public opinion and be able to get a feel for for how people are leaning on things. I love it, man. That's a, that's a fantastic lesson. Let this, it is all about life. Let the small things go. Forget your troubles, um, if they're small ones. If they're small ones, and for fantasy, they're small ones. Even if there's money on the line, even if it makes us feel something in our gut and emotionally, it's still a small trouble. Especially this week when we're seeing real legitimate troubles out there. Fantasy is a small one. Uh, Steve, I'm going to let you go. I promised I promised I would let you go after that one. This is you've stuck around for the entirety of the podcast. The wonderful project manager <laughs> over at Hoopball, Steven Vidovich. Thank you, my man. I appreciate you not only taking the time but also moving the time like eight times this week. No problem at all, Dan. Hey, I had a quick uh trivia question for you before yeah, I man. go. So, uh the Lakers when I did their snapshot, I found something really interesting. How many times do you think that the Lakers have missed the playoffs so far in the history of the team? Oh, gosh. I'm supposed to know these types of things as a Laker fan, but that's the type of stuff that I, I often don't know. I, uh, I would assume the answer is something like 12 years. That, that is so close. So they've missed the playoffs 11 times oh, in their history. What a good guess. That's totally a guess. <laughs> I just knew that there were six recently – and then I know they stunk in the mid-90s. And so I just rolled with that. I was like, six and six. <laughs> so they've missed the playoffs more times from 2013 to 2019 than they had in their entire franchise history prior. Yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> that's a that's a rough run. And it's why Laker <laughs> I mean, even as a Laker fan, it, I found it hard to complain because of just, I mean, that's a team you you get so used to seeing things going well. It's kind of nice, actually, to taste the bitter a little bit to get some of the bandwagoners off, and then you can see who actually cares. Because I became a Laker fan when they were kind of bad. I became a Laker fan in what I like to refer to affectionately as the Cedric Sabalos years. Uh, and so they that was pre-Shaq and Kobe. Uh, you know, Sedale Threat. I think, I think Nick Van Exel was on the team there, or he might have been just about to join it. They were close to getting better again. And I actually think they did make the playoffs in there anyway a couple of times. So <laughs> they weren't they really weren't that bad until recently. Um, I did not know the answer to that question. 12 was an educated guess based on the fact that I knew there had been a half dozen lately. And uh, and I figured there'd been, you know, probably like a handful in the 90s. And then I added one or two elsewhere. So don't give me credit. I don't really deserve it. It was just... I don't know if you ever watched Psych on USA. It was just me being hyper-observational and then making a good guess. Yeah, I know. It was a great guess. And, I mean, as a Warrior fan, they hadn't made the playoffs from 92 up until 2006. Yeah, boy, the We Believe believe year. What a great season that was. 14 consecutive missed playoff opportunities, and the Lakers 
I've only missed the playoffs 11 times in franchise history. That is incredible. So it's good to be a Laker fan. It is good to be a Laker fan, but I'll say this. As much joy as I have, um, as I've taken out of Lakers winning championships, um, living in San Francisco for the We Believe Warrior year was maybe more fun. Uh we just blasted scandals the warrior out of our living room window onto the streets while watching uh, the Warriors take down the Mavs. That was pretty sweet. Oracle was going crazy. That was the best uh, playoff series I've ever seen. Yeah, that was uh, the nuts. best. The best Warrior team, even though they had their franchise, their dynasty. That 2007 run was unbelievable. That was fun. That was there's just something so heartwarming about watching an underdog uh, go bananas and then a city go completely crazy as well. I have a soft spot in my heart. I went to Cal, so you know I I spent a bunch of time in the Bay Area. I went to the Warriors Raptors game, and I believe it was 2002 or three, where uh, the Warriors scored two points in the entire fourth quarter. It's still the fran- It's still the NBA record for the fewest points in a fourth quarter in the history of the NBA, and I was there. And it's the only game I've ever been to at Oracle Arena. So I, I hold that in great regard, and it's, I think it's why I enjoyed the We Believe run so very much. Uh, but, Steve, thank you again, my man. I'll get you back on here sooner this time. Yeah, thank you, Dan. He is Steve Vidovich at Steven with a PH Vidovich on Twitter. I am Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Coming up on Monday, we will continue our exploration of the best free agent pickups from this most recently not quite completed, but, you know, basically fantasy completed season. Uh, we still have a few more teams to profile in our post-mortem series, which is, again, now a mid-mortem. And I assume we'll get more NBA news because that's what's happening right now. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.